Welcome to Genius Leadership Podcast, where we discuss how to overcome everything as a leader. I'm your host, Anna Liebel, a mind shifter, helping male leaders in tech get out of the firefighting mode, become the proactive leaders they want to be, and enjoy the ride as they go. Join me every week for honest, insightful conversations with corporate, entrepreneurial, and academic leaders. We discuss their roller coaster ride of leading from their zone of genius and when they don't. If you find this show valuable, please subscribe and share it so that more of us can live a healthier and happier life. Now, let's get into the episode. Hey, Genius Leader, welcome to the show and another guest episode with a guest who has been on the show before, just about um, more than two years ago. Jeremy Blaine is an award-winning business leader, futurist, author, conference speaker, founder, and the CEO of Performance Work in Works International. And I brought him back because one of the things that Jeremy has been doing recently is an evaluation or survey of leaders and employees globally, when, which produced or resulted into, in a, a very interesting report about the leadership trends that we see both in the global organizations and startups and scale-ups. And I wanted to have Jeremy to ask him about those insights, talk about what they mean for the leaders, and um, see what it means for us going ahead with the trends in the leadership space. So in this conversation, you will hear about a mix of the leadership challenges and also opportunities, which usually go hand in hand. And it's an interesting blend of uh, the challenges related to the technological advancement and digital transformations that we are all experiencing and also all the transformation that we have on the human side. And there will be quite some interesting insights or uh, results that that came from the survey that we're discussing on the uh, human part of the leadership. So I just want you to listen to this conversation and reflect on what does all the information that you're getting here mean for you as a leader and your organization. And if you feel like Jeremy might have some good answers for you and good guidance, please feel free to reach out to him and uh, work with uh, him and his team, because I would uh, warm heartedly to recommend them. And I, I know that they will create a lot of value for you and your company. Uh, reach out to Jeremy via the information or links in the show notes. And without further ado, enjoy the conversation and see you on the other side. Jeremy, warmest welcome back to the show. Thank you very much. It's great to be back, Anna. So I know that you just came from Singapore and I hope you're, you are full of energy back in the UK. Tell me about uh, what have you been doing in Singapore just very quickly. Oh, right. Well, the, the, the work I'm doing in Singapore is around transformational leadership. It's around accelerating what modern leadership looks like, essentially. That's come mainly from new research that we brought out, but also, as important as the research, a context of what leaders are dealing with. And the reason why I'm focused on that uh, in Singapore and elsewhere, actually, is that the failure rate of leaders these days is accelerating. Uh, That's partly readiness. It's partly not knowing what leaders don't know. And partly apathy with short-term focus, sacrificing long-term strategizing. And getting back to that is something that leaders need to do. So that's really where my my focus is and what I've been doing for about three and a half weeks in Singapore. Mm, So cool. And do you mainly work with big corporations or is it a mix of startups, scale-ups and corporations? Is it only business and private uh, sector or also others? Uh, I would say it's... 70% 70% multinationals and legacy multinationals at that. So if you like 20th century organizations transforming into 21st century organizations, which isn't always easy with big beer moths like that. But I also work with scale-ups and I'm a non-exec director on a couple of boards on startups and scale-ups actually. So that also provides, provides me with another view in to what's happening on ground level at business at the moment, particularly around technology and how that's fueling the, the future like Web3, the metaverse, and how companies that I'm working with might economize that within the next couple of years and how I explain that to leaders, which isn't always as easy, <laughs> as, easy as it sounds. 
Mm, very interesting. So I want to tap into when we'll be discussing the survey results right now and the findings that you have. I actually would like you to uh, let us know what do you observe, if there is any difference between the multinational organizations and startups slash scale-up size organizations. So if you have that uh, kind of on top of your mind, then whenever we discuss some topic, uh, please feel free to bring it on. Because for me, it's a really interesting whether leaders have the same challenges and see the same patterns irrespectively of the size of organization, or does that affect uh, the challenges? With a lot of the legacy companies and the large multinationals, even if they're sort of newer multinationals, you you have the the systemic challenges that are there around fast moving times, around moving to hybrid, distributed work, thinking about upgrading processes, technology, and how people work internally, but also provide great customer experiences. So all of these transformations are happening at once. And what the larger organizations and legacy organizations are struggling with is the scope and scale of that. And it's something Mm. that I call the triple now. It is the, if you like, in leadership terms, it's what's happening on the digital side and the upgrading of our knowledge, skills, behaviors, and and strategy that we need to put behind that. On On the other hand, it's the human and the workforce transformations, which are just as grand And that could be the increasing of independent workforce within your employee mix as a formalized part of your workforce rather than just managed services, if you like, and how that helps you manage things like diversity, equity, and inclusion measures, the the struggle that CEOs are going through to demonstrate their social development goals and environmental and social governance. These are huge, big things. So and in the middle of all that, the digital, the human is the leader shift, as I call it itself, mm. is that the, the steep learning curve, which is steeper than most that many leaders are going through, because these are the responsible ones for moving this forward. So it's for legacy organizations that have maybe not made as much progress on that, and we're still moving at a pace, it's getting really stressed, which is why the failure rate uh, of leaders is accelerating. And I can tell you why that is in three ways in in a second. For startups and scale-ups, it's slightly different. There is an enlightenment around how digital enables the organization rather than jumping on the bandwagon of the latest system or tool that might help in one function but doesn't link to the rest and doesn't create an ecosystem around the organization or with with its customers. The issues come with startups to scale-ups where they're moving, they've had a very successful startup, then moving into a funding round to develop the investments to scale up. And then the realization that they need to formalize a lot of what they haven't got in place. That could be HR, it could be finance management, it could be marketing, it could be sales, it could be all of these kind of things. And And those sort of more operational challenges with leaders who perhaps haven't experienced that before, perhaps some of the younger entrepreneurs particularly, is where I'm helping the most. And particularly at board level when I'm sitting on boards as well as what I do as a day job, if you like. But also those those people that have left Generation X particularly, that have left the corporate world, not wishing to take over this this big job of transforming the organization moving into these startups and scale-ups, but really getting caught out around pace, around what they don't know, um, and around what their legacy provides them versus what are the new skills that they need to bring to the party uh, to advise and move the businesses forward. So that's helping them fast-track on that. Interesting. So there are differences, but uh, yeah, and I'm curious to see how those uh, show up for for the leaders on the personal level, which you, you have discussed. But and I it, want and to yeah, go ahead. Sorry, no, I will add that one thing around the failure. The failure rate of leaders, though, is more at the larger organizations, legacy organizations that are there. And in, it's in three ways, actually, which is really worrying from my point of view. Uh, the first is around new leaders. The corporate executive board talk about failure rates of new leaders being between 50 to 70% in the first 18 months of a new leadership role. Why? It's inadequate development, preparation, no handover, lack of time to competence, still doing their operational role and problem solving rather than actually stepping up. 
The second is existing senior leaders. Uh, and this is another piece of data from the Financial Post. The failure rate of existing senior leaders could be as high as 75%, but has rarely been less than 30% in the last five years. That's apathy, and, and procrastination. Clarify, what do I mean by failure? Yeah, so so failure rate is, or failure, if you like, is yeah. defined in terms of failure to transform as an organization, be that digitally or with the workforce, failure to navigate the f- future, failure to look after our talent, failure to attract new talent into the organization, failure to stem declining revenues while protecting the, the long term, and failure to mix or map purpose, people, and profit together in a way that is more acceptable for society. So there's actually quite a lot of fa- mm-hmm. uh, failure that, that can happen, which is why I, I suspect these rates are so high. And the, the third one actually is the most worrying, which is current capable leaders. And that's part of our survey. When we surveyed them, there is clearly an issue with our current capable leaders who are just swamped and who are now suffering from anxiety, mental health issues, it's not for want of trying or care. It's just that they just feel that they will drown if they continue what they're doing. They're not getting the help or advice from boards. They don't know how to do it with the rest of the organization, but they're still trying and trying and trying. And the result of our survey with them was when we asked them, well, what what are the consequences of this? They said, if nothing changes by 2025, 41% of those will choose to leave the organization to look after themselves. Mm -hmm. So it's not just the poor leaders who are failing, not just the new leaders who we are failing. It's also the capable leaders now who are checking out. That's the worry. Yeah, uh, we can discuss that. But I want to roll back for a moment and talk about what the survey is. (laughs) Yeah, sure. I just want to explain to people the history of it. Why did you start doing it? When did you start? And and how, how does it work, actually? Well, I've always, as part of my role and in my previous company too, I always felt that uh, data-based research that could lead to positive action is the way forward. And of course, data science, data analytics is all is all the rage, uh, of course, and so so it should be. But this is something that that we've been practicing for years. We just call it different things. We're using different tools. So for me, I've been doing this for quite a long time, and particularly this survey this uh, Transformational Leadership Survey of 2023, which is just out. This was on the back of the Enlightened Leader Survey that we did two years ago, which was coming out of the pandemic. It was looking at both transformation before the pandemic and what would happen, how that has shaped, how that's been shaped within the pandemic and how organizations and leaders have come out of it to then roll forward two years and say, so how are we doing now? And what's changed, if anything, and uh, what do we need to be mindful of as leaders? So what this does for us, A, it helps us provide insight to the market. And that really helps us with with our customers and clients uh, talk as knowledge leaders, not just you know another company who's trying to sell facilitation or coaching or whatever it is, but actually someone that's going to give you something that will help with your strategy moving forward as well, be that transformational skills building or whatever it is. So that's the important thing. And the other thing is that, uh, yes, I own and, uh, and run a, a learning organization, but I'm also a leader myself. So for me, it helps us upgrade ourselves so that we practice what we preach, which is really important. And in turn, annually now, because of the pace of change, we're upgrading all of our content, be that facilitated content, how we coach, uh, the references that we make, the case studies that we use. Again, because speed is the the competitive currency of today, and we have to help leaders understand how that is shaping their own development journey so that we can go at the right pace with them. Sometimes that means slowing down to speed up, by the way, (laughs) because that's really just as important. So that's what the purpose is, and uh, that's why we did it again this year. And we're going to probably do it again next year, again, to shorten the cycle because of what's happening out there. So let's talk about the uh, the findings from the Transformational Leadership Survey and uh, maybe compare the, mo- the biggest trends to uh, what you did two years ago with, with the findings there. So what I'll start that way. Which finding was the most surprising for you personally? Maybe unexpected. That's an easy one. Let me tell you. And it did really, and it still surprises me in, in many ways. 
So in 2020, 2021, when we released the first version, we we asked employees how confident they were in their leaders being ready to navigate the future. So all of these things that I've talked about, that triple now, the digital, the workforce, their own leadership, and it was kind of less than 37% of employees were confident in their leaders. However, when we asked leaders the same, we had almost 69% of leaders saying, yep, I'm ready, confident, and uh, I can navigate the future, uh, which was questionable for us at the time. But we asked the same question this time. Two shocking pieces of data came through. The first is that we asked employees. So now tracking back, uh, tracking back to where you were two years ago, tracking forward and what's happened since then, how confident are you of your leaders? And there was a huge leap in confidence in their leaders. So that moved from uh, around 39% to 51% of employees that we that we surveyed saying, actually, I'm more confident in our leaders. Why? When we delve down, because employees are much more aware of what the company and what leaders are dealing with now, because they're being told in all of the transformation, what's happening, how not just strategies and, and annual plans, but actually what we're trying to do and what we're trying to to do is for business. And they have a little bit more empathy, let's say, for leaders, which interestingly enough, in 2021 was the need for leaders to demonstrate more empathy to employees, which is still there. But there is a little bit of the two-way street now, which I believe is absolutely needed. We need to look after our leaders because the second piece of data behind that is that we ask leaders, okay, so how confident are you now um, about your ability to navigate the future, um, work through these transformations. And it declined. It declined mm-hmm. to just over 60%. So from, from around 69%. So that, what, what that means is, is that while it's not, it's not a place to panic yet, it's indicative that suddenly more leaders are holding their hand up and saying, you know what? I'm no longer the smartest person in the room. If I ever was, I need help. And it does explain also that piece of data that I gave you before about even the capable leaders, they are far more aware of it now and they're drowning and they don't know what to do. This is why we need to help leaders. That's what really surprised us, that leaders for the first time were saying, don't think I'm ready. It's so interesting and makes sense. But at the same time, I have so many questions, Jeremy, in my head about the complexity that the leaders are handling. Just when you when I asked you about what do we talk about when we talk about the failure rate, and you mentioned almost 10 <laughs> different yeah. factors, and they are on all over the place. So basically, the leaders nowadays have to take care of so many different things. And as you said, they need to learn at a huge speed. So just upskilling yourself to keep the pace would be a full-time job, it sounds like. So do you see that our support for leaders is to support them? Or is it really about creating a completely different structure of leadership to actually distribute all these responsibilities among more people, more parts of organization, or maybe somewhere outside of organization even? That's one tactic, actually, because you, you rightly mentioned there are so many moving parts now that one thing won't be enough. And this is why also in my statement is that that relates to what you just said there is that one leader is not enough. That's really a mantra that I go into quite a lot, which is, you know, we need to have a more empowering stroke. You need to break down hierarchical barriers. We need to practice more horizontal management. We need to unleash the potential of the many, not the few. So talent with a small T in a truly empowering culture, as I know that we've talked about before, um, and something, as you know, I'm very, very passionate about and have ri- written about, but that's just one, one element of it. There are so many moving parts. And when now leaders are becoming more aware, I think there are three things that are happening that I've noticed around this. First of all, is a, a, a movement from awareness to acknowledgement. So the acknowledgement is the mindset shift that we need that something needs to change. This is why some leaders are saying, well, if nothing changes, I'm going to check out. Uh, that's the extreme of it. But other leaders saying, right, what do I need to learn? But it is a steep learning curve. This is what I said. It's potentially the steepest learning curve of anyone at leadership level. That's why also that is leading to that movement to action from mindset is causing leaders to stop in their track and say, I need help. 
And that's a great thing. That's a really brave thing because demonstrating vulnerability creates empathy from others as well as what leaders were asked to do over the last two years. And that, that, that's key. So there are a number of levers to pull. And, and I would say that those, those levers to pull, yes, that what you said is, is, is absolutely key. But summarizing, I think the focus for leaders, the shift from what we need to focus on to how we need to do things differently, how we need to execute, how we need to implement, because that's where things fail. That's where strategies fail. That's where plans fail. So understanding what it takes to implement some of these big changes, whether it's learning or whether it's big transformation is, is important. The other thing, if you are going to empower the rest of the organization, you need to invest in culture building because at the moment, culture is being destroyed by, by those organizations that are not transforming quick enough, that are putting short-term pressures on their people and that have a pressured leadership, which is causing sort of a hierarchical knee-jerk reaction. Employees have more power now than they ever have before. When I say that, I mean power of choice. I choose not to work with this company. I choose to work with a more enlightened company that is, that is on top of all of this, but also has, uh, you know, a bolder vision socially, perhaps as well. There are new things that we need to, to bind our people with into our companies. And then that leads to the, 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 the final thing around that, which is you, you're absolutely right when you said it. And we've said it a couple of times now is that the new skills that we need to build are one thing, but the existing skills that we need to evolve are multiply it by two. So how do you lead and manage, for example, I know how to, I've been trained how to lead and manage, but how do I lead and manage a hybrid work, workforce? Uh, how do I lead and manage a distributed workforce? How do I use data in a different way through look, not through looking at Excel spreadsheets and creating PowerPoints, but how do I use AI, apply that to help make quicker decision making and move from PowerPoints to prototypes so that we become more innovation minded? That's just two of many, Anna. It's a huge undertaking. And this is why many leaders are suddenly sort of stuck, immobilized, thinking, yikes, this is a bit scary. And you say in the report, and you already mentioned now, Jeremy, about the concern about the mental health and well-being of the leaders, that they themselves are seeing that as a huge threat. And that you said that that is the worrying part for you. Can you tell us more about that part of the uh, insights from the report? Yeah, yeah, uh, certainly can. So for me, this is absolutely a critical part, actually, of the survey that, come, that, that came out. Leadership, mental and physical well-being is a growing concern. There is far more talk and chatter not just asking for help, but, but saying, I'm, I'm feeling this. Um, I'm not well. I feel anxiety. I, uh, I'm not physically looking after myself. And traditionally, what we might have done actually, even up to two years ago through the pandemic, we'd have been focusing all of that effort on our employees and not necessarily, not necessarily, but, you know, perhaps sometimes on our leaders, not enough. So what you have is you have kind of a double double whammy hitting leaders. You've talked about it. I've talked about it, about the steep learning curve is one. Then you have all of these moving parts, which is causing anxiety, panic, mental health issues, physical health issues, but also leadership level learning is stalled to a extent. So we're saying it's a steep learning curve, but it's stalled. It's almost an immobilization of what we do first because it just feels it's, it, it's so much to take on. This is why the failure rate of leaders is, is kind of times three almost now with new leaders, existing senior leaders, and also, also now worryingly our capable leaders. So we have to work on that. We have to work on looking after our leaders. And I'm really championing that at the moment. And I was, as I was two years ago, championing, we need to look after our employees. Now I'm saying to employees, we need to demonstrate empathy and support for our leaders. And everybody needs to be part of the solution moving forward and part of the growth engine, the empowered workforce, all of those kind of things. So, you know, for me, that bit, that is a real growing concern. And just to reiterate what I said right at the beginning, if that doesn't change, our research showed that we have a two year window only to solve this or crack this because 41% of those capable leaders who fed back to us in the survey said that if nothing changes, they're going to look after that, that themselves by leaving the organization. 
And we're seeing that this is why Generation X is the fastest growing population into the independent workforce or the, even the gig economy because they feel they can much better impact either that organization or another externally rather than being in the thick of it. So kind of a double worry there as well. Okay, let's uh, let's uh, go from panic, panic, <laughs> things yeah. are bad, to what can we actually do? How can we support leaders? What do you talk about with your clients, whether it's pers- like individuals or the whole organization or their leadership team? Yeah, so... And in fact, we we asked employees and leaders, okay, so we hear you, but just park how you're feeling at the moment. Say, look, if we were going to turn this around, what would be, you know, what would be the top five, six things that we would that we would need to focus on? So the leaders coming back on there, uh, and it, to some extent, the employees said, first of all, was this upgraded learning journey. I need to understand how I can learn more rapidly how it can be far more targeted about what I need rather than nice to have, and how can I apply it straight away. To do that, I need the second thing, which is personal coaching support. I don't have that enough. And I also need a third thing, which is a coach or a counselor on my mental well-being and physical well-being. So that could be a that, that could be a coach, it could be a physical coach, or it could be could be a counselor to help me work through those. Then what I need are my managers and my second line leaders below me to be more capable. So I'd want to invest in them so that they can step out of their sort of operational roles and really contribute from a leadership and management perspective. And to your point, actually, the fifth one in here is what we kind of termed as growth loading um, out of this uh, out of this survey, which is greater empowerment across the organization a multiplier of people contributing to some of the big problems, opportunities, innovations that we're trying to work with through the organization and doing that in a way that we can make it more independent, small working groups to do that, uh, sponsored by line managers and senior leaders, linking to strategy and fueling growth. So that's growth loading at every level of the organization. And the 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 sixth one that came that came through in that was uh, from leaders themselves was we need some empathy too. It was like you know <laughs> this is and I agree with them and it's that's that's not you know that could be a little bit that could be felt of being a little bit self serving as leaders but I see it. We've interviewed many of the leaders that were in here and in fact you won't see that within the within the survey documents. But when I present this, I present quite a lot of the. The, uh, the quotes that came out from from the interviews, and you can feel this is real. You really can, and so that's that's really important. And those that have been on, in fact, those that have been you know on this track and started implementing one of these six things or two or three of these six things have been ha- have been moving forward. And what they have found is it's not just taken a weight off their own shoulders because they're able to demonstrate vulnerability in front of their own organization. It's been able to remove, without them even knowing really, the hierarchical barriers and help that culture building effort. So it's benefited them personally, but the rest of the organization who are saying, right, let's, let's do something. Let's help. These, these guys are all, are, are also just human after all. You know, so we need to do something. And I think it's a very important point to remind ourselves about that. Yes, leaders have a lot of responsibilities and might seem to be some machines <laughs> given the scope of their role nowadays but in the end of the day it's a human and it's a big journey i guess for the leaders themselves to open up that human part of them and ask for that empathy back so that it becomes a two-way street right as you mentioned earlier jeremy but it also requires others to have the mental headspace i would say to notice the human part of their leader because everyone is challenged right now. Everything is going way too fast. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a good exercise. And I think it's very important uh, inside Jeremy to remind ourselves that, hey, we're all humans here in the end of the day. And let's just come from that space with our intentions, with our actions, with our words towards each other. Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely right. And, and it's, a, it's a huge benefit for the rest of the organization. And in fact, uh, and I'm sure you're the same in, in this, Anna, is that in all of our learning journeys now, there is a very big portion on neuroscience, neuroscience of leadership, uh, well-being, mental and physical well-being. We bring in experts to talk about this. We 
we set them up as as uh, informal coaches outside of the 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 more formal things that we do as well and it really helps it's 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 something that we need absolutely do you have any or do you use in in your work with clients any technical or technological solutions for coaching like the coach chatbots or things like that or you're really going into human i'm just thinking how to democratize this support for uh, for the larger scale organizations Oh yeah, well, you know, the 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 whole thing is based on our triple now. So it's the digital leadership, the human-centered leadership and the leadership itself and how that all binds together. So the digital is finding the enablers, not the technological systems that overwhelm or don't quite are not quite fit for purpose. So it's helping leaders understand that we need to move away from individual platforms that don't talk to each other and build ecosystems which bind collaboration, communication, how we work internally, how we service our customers externally and provide amazing uh, customer experiences because we understand the full customer journey. All of this is key. And how then to um, employ AI into decision-making, strategizing at all levels. So this is not just a leadership play. So the big play around digital is that, well, actually, I would say two things. First of all, I have to reinforce that in the digital era, the human touch is more important than it ever was. There is no question about that. But it's how we use technology, which has been the, the, been the, the catalyst of failure or success, whether it's appropriate or not. So we have to understand now that so many more of our, of our people need to have the kind of skills so that they can make decisions at their level. So they need to understand what data science is and how data analytics work to provide um, predictive options that they can then move with their uh, management and go and present to their their leaders, for example, if they need a decision. How they visualize data, uh, these kind of things. So it's not just digital tools, it's digital ways of working. And if we are going to do what we both said, actually, in this, which is have a more empowering structure, for example, then digital ways of working are the fuel. So adopting agile, for example, that agile mindset, which is actually a very human-centered approach when it boils down to it. How do we innovate, solve problems, and create opportunities at speed in smaller teams coached uh, by a line manager? So support, not supervision, if you like. And also with the ability, the psychologically safe ability to make a decision to move forward and experiment, which is really important. So taking away the fear of failure, saying we need to probably experiment and fail a bit in a controlled way in order to rapidly move forward. So digital, digital enables the human side of things in so many ways, not just through its tools, but through adopting digital ways of working. And what you're talking about right now, I hear a lot about the culture, that the culture needs to be the right environment for all these things to happen so that we, we feel psychologically safe, we, we do change our attitudes towards failure. And that was one of the findings in the report as well, right? You, you wrote those top 10 findings and the 10th one was about the culture and you mentioned that that is in a way an enabler of all the nine ones that you have discussed previously. So can we talk a bit about the culture? What can leaders do to adjust that to the needs that... Uh, the modern world actually puts on us? Yeah. So, well, the first thing is, if nothing changes, culture is the first thing to suffer and culture is the destroyer of organizations. It doesn't matter how great your strategy is, how great your plans are, how great individuals might be. As the culture becomes more either irrelevant because it's not evolved for the modern world or more toxic because of the type of organization it is, then people will check out at all levels. And leaders won't be motivated to do anything around that as much as those that will. So you'll have pockets of culture building, and then that will create sort of cliques within the organization, and it actually makes the whole thing worse. So culture building is one of the big the big things that needs to happen in organizations, which is a realignment of our values and behaviors for what we are as a modern organization, modern, evolved, transform organization. How do we communicate that as a change? How do we embed that change and help help everybody in the organization understand that that change is, is, a, is a rolling feast? It's an ongoing process of which you are a part of as well. And we all have a duty of care to, care to manage. 
Because it's only when we do that and we all own it at all levels, not just leaders and managers, that you start to embed. You start to embed the new values within the organization. You start to embed the new knowledge, skills, and behaviors and how we work together in a more empowering way, let's say, a more collaborative and communicative organization. And that's where it starts to impact how this feels around here, the culture of the organization and how it's built and how it's underpinned with the right kind of digital technology to fuel that sort of human culture evolution. And that's not just for permanent employees. That is now for our increasing mix of independent employees beyond managed services that within the next two to three years could be 50% of our formal workforce. What does it mean for the culture to have yeah, exactly. so many so we, individual contributors? Well, exactly. So that we do not have a fit for purpose framework in HR terms or human capital terms that allows us to think of and manage our independent workforce as we might do with our permanent workforce. We treat them as managed services or it's a contract, a contract or it's a project. So we have to think about what does that mean? And the way I, the way I talk about it is this is a, a new sort of definition for HR. I call it open HR. We need to open out what we've been doing before. We need to understand, you know, that we have highly valued independent workers uh, that could be, you know, that could be, that could be anybody. They could, they could have been leaders in, in their own businesses and they could be coming in to help in specific areas or as interim areas, let's say, for example. We need to create the kind of um, welcoming atmosphere where we value those independent workers as well as we do our permanent workers. And we culture build between the two of them and we build collaboration between the two of them. Managers and leaders should act as the glue between those and, and champions. The problem that I'm finding, e even from this research, as well as the research two years ago, many leaders outside of HR are not even aware of this phenomenon happening. Um, and they need to know, and particularly managers need to know, uh, because it will be another cultural, uh, another cultural bump in the road if they don't get it right um, alongside the next digital transformation. So they'll have a human transformation coming with this blended workforce, but also another digital transformation when you add Web3 and the metaverse, for example, into it and how we do things differently. Both of these things could impact your culture building now, which is why we need to really accelerate this area and think about future culture as much as culture now. Is the culture really so important if we think about, okay, there, are, there is this organization It has some goals. We want to bring X value to our customers and stakeholders, shareholders. And half of our workforce are temporary, let's say, or, or uh, yeah. people who, who are not the employees full-time that we have hired. Do we still need to rely on the culture as the glue to actually bring all these people together to reach those goals? Or maybe is that something also that is changing and will need something else? My overall answer to that question is, is no, that's not changing. Culture still underpins how the future workforce is evolving. And I can demonstrate that by going to a different piece of research that we did, which is called the Blended Workforce Manifesto, where we, we actually researched a couple of years ago independent workers from all over the world. We interviewed them as well. We talked to the organizations that were hiring them. And the common complaints from, uh, from the independent workers were, well, there were complaints, let's say, which on the flip side would be a huge benefit and a huge enabler for uh, mutualized value are that we need to we need to have more robust longer term contracts. We need to have better payment terms, but we also need to feel part of the team. We need better briefing. We need better collaboration uh, internally. They're talking about all of the cultural pieces uh, that are there. And they're saying, we'll commit to you as a long-term as a long-term independent worker or advisor in where you want us to work because, because it's about mutual value. We're not just looking for a one-off project, which is the mentality of many corporates that, that hire them at the moment. So actually, it's changing the mindset, saying we've got an amazing workforce here. So an organization, you know, a big legacy organization that we talked before that is now under huge cost pressure might say, Actually, we've got a huge opportunity to change the structure of our workforce. We can be more, it can help us economize, but it can also provide huge benefits. But we've just got to think about how we manage that mix between independent and permanent workers. 
how we recognize and reward both, how we culture build between two, and, and how we measure the mutualized value that comes from us and to us, from all of our workforce, uh, because it's likely that that trend will continue. Interesting. This was a bit of a challenging question just to, to question the status quo and uh, that's yeah. not to, to really say that that's, that is happening. I just was wondering, we, we yeah. are used to culture as the glue for everything, but is that also changing? So it's interesting to see that um, people who are independent workers are still paying so much attention to that uh, when yeah. they choose where to stay as the independent worker or, or go further. And that is still the important part for leaders to pay attention to, not only the digital thing or whatever it is, or maybe just compensation and benefits, plainly. How does it work in practice when we talk about the culture? When you, when you facilitate that work for, for leadership uh, teams of our organizations, what do you talk about? What do you implement in, the, in a team? Or maybe what kind of questions are you asking them first and foremost to be better at nurturing that culture that uh, will help them instead of yeah signing them up for failure you know what why this is such an interesting question is that many organizations who are struggling with transformation aren't even getting to culture yet anna they've got so many other things that they're dealing with is that they're forgetting about the culture you know it's like we've got short-term numbers to hit we've got all of this transformation i'm feeling the pressure as a leader i don't know what i'm doing i've got some issues around this We've got to transform. We've got these systems coming in. We, we don't know what we don't know. We've got new competitors around the corner. And culture and the organization sort of gets lost, but people are at the heart of your success. If you don't have good people um, internally and externally, those partners and stakeholder, other stakeholders that are supporting you, then it's not going to work. And this is where I also challenge CEOs um, and the, lead- the senior leadership teams in I ask them, who are their advisors? Who do they have on their board who have a particular, eye, a particular eye on modern culture in organization and what modern culture looks like and what modern cultural transformation needs to be in place to fuel the organization forward and the cost of not doing it? Because having sit, sat on and continued to sitting, sitting on a few boards is that I would say it's very governance and finance focused. But I don't get much a sense in some of the boards that I've witnessed about the people side. So having that at that level also so that it becomes a governance point for leaders is absolutely key. So culture as a, as a governance foundation stone is, is particularly important. And that's probably, that's beyond ESG, I would say. That's more kind of internally how we might look at that. So one of the things to do for the CEOs who are listening to us could be to just reflect how are the skill sets on my board? Do I have anyone who is actually thinking about, hey, how about our people? How do we actually walk our talk of our values, our purpose, and so on on a daily basis? Do we focus on that anyhow, or it's just something that we brush away for a later stage that never comes because we just keep speeding up with the development uh, advancement of the technology and things that we need to catch up on. Well, I'd add a couple more things to this because they, the 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 first thing is I can relate this to the digital conversation that we had before. So if your leaders are saying to you, uh, you know, it, you know, if your leaders are saying, right, yeah, we need to digitally transform, right, head of IT, this is your project. Wrong. This is a leadership project. This is not an IT project. In the same way, culture is HR, go and sort out our culture. No, it's mm. not an HR role. It's HR to implement and enable it, but it is you as a leadership team to define it, model it, and live it. So that's the real key around it. So leaders have to be at the heart of cultural shift. Such an important point, Jeremy. Thank you for mentioning that. And I actually get to think about one of my previous guests, uh, Arne Pederblix, who talked about that leaders are responsible for living the culture. And he said, I would maybe say that the board is responsible for setting the culture, but then the leaders are the ones who actually live it through on a daily basis to show employees what do we mean by that. So uh, again, ties together with what you just said about, okay, do we discuss those things on the board? And also do we empower our leader to, like the CEO of the company, to actually go and be that 
agent of change within the organization, whether it's the digital transformation, as you said, Jeremy, or the culture nurturing, let's say. Good point. So you have been presenting this report. It's been out for a couple of months now, three or a month or so. So I guess you had quite some work with organizations based on the findings. How is that perceived and what kind of steps do organizations take based on the findings that you bring them? Well, what's interesting, there are two interesting things that come out. The first, which isn't so surprising. That, and that first thing is, is that when we present it, there are a lot of people nodding. And a lot of people smiling and saying, yeah, exactly either how I'm feeling or, yeah, that, that's, that's definitely there. So there are things here which resonate, but there are new things within this that aren't being talked about enough, like the mental health and well-being of leaders, like two-way empathy of our leaders, like how we truly go horizontal as an organization and empower our people you know, to be part of the solution, taking pressure off our leaders. The other thing that we do in all of these presentations, which has been fascinating, is that we have we have been, of course, presenting this in-house, if you like, to company leadership teams, but also at events. And the data that we're getting out is very, very similar, is when we ask, when we ask what, uh, in two ways. The first question we ask is just one word that defines what modern day leadership is about. And a lot of the words that we get in our word clouds on the screen are all human-centered. You know, regardless of the digital thread that's there, you know, this human touch and being human, being in touch with our humanity again is, as I said before, more important than it ever was, particularly in the digital era, you know, to bring, to bring, that, to bring that to fall. But perhaps the most interesting question that we ask halfway, we do a little poll, uh, which is anonymous poll, after we've talked about the, the pressures on leaders, the stresses on leaders, how they're feeling, more more cries for help, uh, more awareness of this, more vulnerability being demonstrated, we ask a simple question, how do you feel? And what's interesting is that we get, on average, we have got more people who we're presenting to who are feeling the pressure than actually came across in our, in our survey. So we have, we have usually over 50% of the room that's saying, I'm really feeling the pressure and I need to do something about it whatever that is, you know, whether that's checking out or doing something else, that is huge. And I'm looking around that room and some of those rooms, I know the people very well, I have to say. And I'm looking around thinking, wow, you know, what is not said is incredible because I didn't know a lot of you in this room were feeling this way. And it certainly opened a, a, a conversation. And I've been in front of them also talking about my own journey and my own anxieties as a leader when I left my previous company. Because I was, I hadn't realized it, but I was medically burnt out. But I didn't accept that in my head. I didn't go and diagnose it. I just thought I was going crazy, you know, and I was just like rolling myself into, you know, into ever more work and doing it. I couldn't sleep. I was having panic attacks. I was in, and I had to, I had to leave. And, you know, my organization at the time was just not very good at hearing this or listening to it. I didn't really want to know, unfortunately. But, once you make the move and get help, the benefits are huge. So I recognize that angst in many leaders and how hard it is sometimes to hold a hand up and say, you know what, I can't do this anymore, or I'm really struggling and I need more help. So now out of all of these presentations we've done, we've actually set up a peer kind of mentoring circle, if you like, I don't know what to call it really, <laughs> a peer circle where we have once every couple of months, yeah, we, 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 we put together for the people who are in, the, in, in these sessions um, to come in, mix of all, all companies come in then and just talk and we'll have a theme and we'll talk about it and we'll have a guest that might speak about it and do a Q&A, all about well-being, mental, physical, how we're coping, coping mechanisms, stress management, all of those and resilience. So important. And it's great that you're creating this space, Jeremy, because then people have the data, right? They, they got your uh, results and a uh, better understanding and confirmation that, hey, you're not alone with this. I think this is the important, very important part of the, the numbers that you're showing in the report and in your presentations when you talk about the report and, and the survey that normalizes what is going on. Because I'm pretty sure that you had no clue about how people feel in those rooms when you know people is because they keep it to themselves because they think that they are the only idiots in the world who feel that way. And by presenting this data, it 
shows them like, hey, I'm not an idiot. I'm not alone. And mm-hmm. then you even take it a step further and actually create the space for them to process the findings, the learnings, and also get better at asking for help, talking about how they feel, uh, and getting the tools to support themselves. Mm. So thank you for, for doing that. I think it's super, uh, super important for, for us to succeed with this challenge of being leaders in organizations nowadays. Jeremy, any, uh, anything that you think we have missed to discuss from the survey, from the report, or from the reactions that you've had before uh, <laughs> since the uh, report release? Um, the one thing I'd add, actually, is, is a call to my own industry, the learning industry, which is we need to up our game. So I talked about our commitment. You know, I invest in this research. You know, I use real money <laughs> to, to invest in this research. And I'm a small company. You know, I'm a, I'm, or let's call it boutique, boutique company. Um, but, I, but, I, but I'm committed to it. I upgrade myself and I upgrade our learning journeys. So our transformational leadership learning journey is modern, up-to-date, and actually approaches all of these topics that we talked about today by bringing in different experts, by brand new learning around it, how we do this as well, how we learn and how we do it. The problem I've got with my own industry is, is that we've got you know, a lot of the bigger players out there and a lot of the thousands of independents who are just peddling the same old stuff that they did 20, 30 years ago. They're just repackaging it or they're putting a module on hybrid working in it and saying it's modern and upgraded. It's not. So my call is for our industry to get a grip, actually, up our game, really challenge what you have in your own organization and what we're giving or what we're selling uh, to our clients, because it's the duty of care that we have as learning professionals and human capital professionals to help the organizations in which we serve. That's not saying that you throw away everything that we've done in the past or the 20th century. You bring like I always say in ours, we bring the leadership greatest hits, but we modernize it and we bring in the new things that are needed. Not enough are doing that, Anna. And that's why I like to stand up in our industry and, um, and shout about it because I, I think people need to be told. It benefits us all if everybody does it. I think it's an important call to, call to action to the industry. Uh, as you say, we, we have the responsibility to, to support people right, and provide them the solutions that actually work. Instead of just ticking the box off, yeah, I've gone to that course and then coming back to my challenges and not having a clue how to apply what has been discussed there. That's something I do with the trainings a lot, adjust them to the needs of the organization. And I see how people are receptive to that because they can directly relate to what they, uh, the examples I provide to the tools that I, I give them to the situations they have with their own uh, employees, with their own duties and so on. And that's what exactly. I need to do more of. Jeremy, I really appreciate what you do with Performance Works and for you to uh, showing up, to you for showing up. I can't speak anymore. <laughs> and sharing with us your insights and reflections from the survey. And I will uh, drop the link to the survey in the show notes and also to your LinkedIn as usual and to the uh, website of the company so that people can uh, easily reach out to you if they want to hire you to speak about the uh, results and help the leadership teams. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me again, Anna. It's been a pleasure. And to you, Genius Leaders, I want to remind you that I see you, I feel you, I love you, and I believe in you as a leader and your ability to ask for help if you ever need it, because we all do. Take care of yourself and see you next week. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Genius Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed the conversation, hit the subscribe button. Please rate, review, and share to help more people discover the show and become the better leaders. For more conversations about living in your zone of genius, connect with me on LinkedIn. Genius Leadership is an honors conversation about leading yourself and others, and it is my honor to be a guide in overcoming everything.